Good morning. In the passage before us today, we will get a much fuller view of the Bible's teaching on the way the church and we as individual Christians ought to respond to sinners. What Paul will make clear is that there is a difference in the way we ought to respond to unbelievers caught in sin and professing believers who are willfully sinning. You may have noticed that I use different language to talk about the sin of believers and unbelievers. Unbelievers are in bondage to sin and need the grace and mercy of God to be freed from that bondage. Those who are in Christ, especially those who have been shown their sin, sin willfully against knowledge and need to be called to walk in holiness. Sometimes the church is guilty of getting this backwards by ignoring the sin of a professed believer while coming down mercilessly on unbelievers. Paul seeks to correct that error with his teaching in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9-13. Listen now as I read. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or as an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Paul begins by correcting a misunderstanding. He had written the Corinthians and told them not to associate with sexually immoral people. Paul is referring to a different letter that we do not now possess. The Corinthians interpreted this to mean that they had to withdraw from the world to avoid sexually immoral people. What Paul intended was for them to address the sexually immoral people in the church. Paul knew that they won't be able, nor should they, avoid sexually immoral unbelievers. And to ward off more potential confusion, he says they don't need to avoid the greedy swindlers or idolaters. Essentially, he's saying they don't need to avoid unbelievers. Obviously, Paul is not advocating participating in their immorality, but the Corinthians did not need to avoid unbelievers. Paul states that if they were to avoid associating with this kind of person, they would have to get out of the world, which certainly strongly implies that believers are not to remove themselves from the world. This is an error that is sometimes perpetuated in the church. This also provides justification for not associating with sinners. We are called to be salt and light to the world, and we cannot do that if we are sheltered away from the world pronouncing judgment. To the world, our posture should be one of grace, by which we proclaim the good news of the gospel of Christ. We see the same kind of conflict in the gospels. There, the religious leaders routinely shun those they deem sinners and criticize Jesus for embracing them. Jesus not only went out of his way to embrace sinners, he routinely criticized those religious leaders who thought they were righteous, but were actually doing harm. We see this in Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13, where it says, And as Jesus reclined at a table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners were coming and reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, 
but sinners. Jesus went to eat with the tax collectors and sinners because they were sick and in need of a physician. He came to call sinners. We see something similar in Luke 15, 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus responded to their complaint by telling three separate parables. And all of the parables had the same message, which is summarized in Luke 15, 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And in 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul, reflecting on his own salvation, says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. But at the other end of the spectrum, Jesus says this to the religious leaders in Matthew 23.13, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Jesus commands us in Matthew chapter 28 to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. We can't go into the world and make disciples if we are sheltered away in our own little holy huddle trying to avoid sinners and pointing our fingers at them in judgment. When Paul exhorted the Corinthians not to associate with sexually immoral people, he met those in the church who, as Paul says, bear the name brother, who are sexually immoral. But not just those who were sexually immoral, but also those who were greedy, idolaters, revilers, drunkards, and swindlers. Paul says that they are not even to eat with such a one. Eating is a sign of fellowship and camaraderie. Eating is done in community. Those in the church who were living in sin did not belong to that fellowship, and it was a sin to act as if they were. I've said it throughout our study of 1 Corinthians 5, but it bears repeating. Paul is not talking about someone slipping up and committing a sin. He is not even talking about someone who is struggling to overcome a particular sin, but wants to honor God and is repentant when they fall. He is talking about one who persists in their sin and will not repent even when they are called to repentance. This is the person who glories in their shame. At the end of chapter 5, Paul will lay it out plainly for them so they are able to understand God's responsibility and their responsibility. He begins with two rhetorical questions. For what have I to do with judging outsiders and... Is it not those inside the church whom you judge? The answer to the first question is clearly nothing. I have nothing to do with judging outsiders. That doesn't mean we don't proclaim the gospel to them, but proclaiming the gospel is not judging. It amazes me sometimes when Christians are surprised that people in the world are acting worldly. That's what we ought to expect. Instead of standing in judgment, We need to show love, grace, and mercy. And most of all, we need to proclaim to them the good news that there is freedom in Jesus Christ. The answer to the second question, is it not those inside the church whom you judge, is clearly yes. Those inside the church know about sin and new life. 
They should be indwelt by the Holy Spirit and equipped to live a new life. If they are not, then it is the church that is responsible to do something about it. Paul ends by stating plainly what he implied previously. God judges those outside. When we get worked up about the world being worldly, we demonstrate that we don't really trust God to bring them to repentance or to judge them adequately. We act as if we have to do his job for him. But then he says plainly, purge the evil person from among you. We are responsible to exercise discipline on those who persist in their sin. This needs to be done in wisdom, but their sin cannot be ignored. Paul pulls no punches in calling such a person evil. If the church doesn't act, the leaven of their evil will infect the entire church. Today, as we close, again pray for our grammar school students. We've just got a couple of weeks left in the first quarter, and they are persisting and doing great, even though they've had to overcome some struggles and hardships. So we want to continue praying for them, for their teachers, and for their family. Please join me as we pray. Father, we are grateful for the abundant grace that you have shown to us, sinners who were undeserving of mercy. And I pray that we as a people would show that same kind of mercy. Doesn't mean that we take sin lightly, doesn't mean that we wink at it, but we trust in your sovereignty. We trust in your goodness. We trust that through the proclamation of the gospel, you will bring men and women to yourself that they might know the forgiveness that is offered to them in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would also in our churches be diligent, not to be uh, those who are out looking for sin or uh, trying to uh, dig into people's lives to find something we can accuse them of. But when there is sin, and there is obvious sin, and there is persistent sin, I pray that we would be diligent to respond. Today, I want to close by praying for our grammar school, pray for our students, I pray for their families, I pray for the teachers and the administration. Thank you for the good work that they have done this year. Pray that you would continue to strengthen them and encourage them, build them up as they do this good work that they have been called to do, and help all of us be better equipped to be the people you've created us in Christ Jesus to be. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.